Hello and welcome to The Mock Review with Ben and Drew. I'm Ben Garmo. And I'm Drew Evans. Well, Drew, it is good to hear your voice. It's good to be back on the microphones. I can always tell that it's been a little while since we've recorded uh, when we get a mock trial confession. Um, (laughs) You know, I would prefer, uh, hey, I really missed the mock review as opposed to, you know, where's the mock review, guys? Is that still around? Uh, but either way, I'll take it. Um, it's been, I think, about a month and a half since we've gotten a chance mm-hmm. to sit down and record, and we've got a lot of great things to talk about, so I'm looking forward to it. Uh, but first and foremost, uh, how are you doing? What's uh, been going on uh, with you since the end of November when we last chatted? Wow, it has been a wild uh, and pretty crazy last few months. Um, I, I will say, I think that it, it sounds like both of us have gotten new mics over the Christmas break, so hopefully our sound quality is slowly improving and, and specifically maybe mine is slowly inching towards yours, Ben. Um, but I, I honestly, like it's weird because both it's been so long, but I also feel like not much has like really happened. Like, I mean, sure. We've got a couple of tournaments to discuss. And uh, I mean, obviously the world, it feels very, very different from when we last spoke. That's but, true. I mean, I don't know. I feel like it's just this year is just, it's bizarre, man. It's just, I feel like we're in 2021 and I'm kind of like, all right, you know, things are looking up. Right. But it's just, it's still weird. I feel like I'm in purgatory or something. Just like everything's in slow motion. Um, I will say that from the high school world of mock trial that I've been mostly involved in, um, I'm kind of gearing up, getting ready. Our first uh, couple of rounds are in the start of February, pretty similarly to what college circuit is like we've got our final kind of scrimmages going on soon um we've been getting people off notes and everything uh it's exciting i'm couldn't be prouder of all the kids that i coach they work their tails off and it is awesome to see um off i will say that off mics beforehand ben uh, and i were chatting about um life as a coach and i just want to say to all of the other coaches that are listening out there (laughs) as a competitor I never had any appreciation for what it means to be a coach and how stressful it is. Even just watching scrimmages is like just insanely stressful for me. And I just like get these shivers of just doubt of like, did I not do enough? I, you know, I wish I could do more and you just feel so powerless and round, but when they do well, it just, there's nothing like it in the world. So I love my kids. It's awesome. They're amazing. And I love working with them. But back to the college world, Ben, um, I know you've been pretty busy. You've had a couple of recent tournaments um, for both your A and your B team. Um, but I mean, the big one that we just got through, we're recording this on Sunday night after this uh, tournament just ended. Tell me about Chicago Fire. <laughs> I'll, I want to mention something else real in a second. Go but ahead, go ahead. I have to laugh at Chicago Fire. So uh, Chicago Fire was amazing. I'll, I'll talk about it more in a second. But they do... They do a mini national. So they do two, two divisions and, uh, the division champions earning the right to play one another tomorrow morning, Monday morning at seven in the morning, West coast time, uh, were, uh, UC Berkeley and UCLA. Um, and look, they're both amazing, amazing teams, but I had to laugh at that. Like (laughs) these two teams probably hit each other 10 times a year, more (laughs) than that, maybe. And uh, look, it'll be an amazing round. I have to imagine we'll have somebody watch it just because those are two of the best teams in the country. But I just, I had to laugh at that. Like there's nothing, nothing, uh, to take the sting out of a, uh, intense rivalry, like doing your, your tough round at 7 a.m. on a Monday morning, sitting, you know, sitting in your kitchen or whatever. Um, 
But just a quick side note before we get back to Great Chicago Fire, Drew, I thought you'd appreciate this. I, you know, so I help run Maryland's high school mock trial competition and we're using, so it's 110 or 112-ish teams this year and we got six or seven weeks of competition. And the way we're facilitating all of that is we're using process, the system Mm -hmm. that Justin and Varon talked to us about several episodes ago. And it has been so cool working with that system. Varon did a ton of incredible modifications to switch it from like a system that works over a weekend for 24 teams or whatever to a system that we're using for almost two months to track over 110 teams. And it's, it's unbelievable what he has done with that software and what Justin has done with the organization. Cause some of the empire staff members have been helping us out. I just, man, I can't say enough about how cool that system is. And I, I can't imagine AMTA will ever ever actually use process, but I'm very intrigued to see what AMTA does in terms of technology uh, for the tournaments. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's interesting that you bring that up. I had such a phenomenal time at Empire uh, when I when I was there this last October, November, whatever it was. Um, it, I mean, it really, process was amazing and so user friendly. And I think that it. I know we've discussed it before, but I'll just say it again. I mean, it's so like eye-opening of like, oh, look at how like easy this could be and how helpful this would be. And like, what if we like used the technology that we have around us in like these way better ways that make tabbing so much easier and so much faster and so just like honestly easy. Um, I feel like I've said that word like 10 times, but I mean, it's so true. And I, I, I agree with you. I doubt Amta will ever move to it. But I, I definitely, I wish Massachusetts was using it. I don't even know what we're doing. Um, it's like, I think we're just doing individual, like, you know, judges fill out a Google form type of thing. And then, then that gets recorded later or something. But I mean, it's, it's just not the same. And now that I've been experienced, I've like experienced process. I, I don't want to go back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's funny because we just finished up Great Chicago Fire, which used uh, Sam Jahinger's ballot system, which we use for Charm City and is also absolutely stellar and it's just you got smart folks out there like sam and veron who are designing these things and it's it'll be cool to see how innovation you know sort of moves forward uh but returning real quick to great chicago fire so we had a a great weekend my my sort of newly formed a team uh was there we took fifth place in our division which i was super happy about um and we had a great brutal schedule we went duke chicago a uh, why am I blanking on? Oh, Harvard this morning and then uh, Indiana this afternoon. So four really, really just top-notch programs, really great, uh, you know, just clean rounds with all four of them, um, you know, programs that I have tons and tons of respect for. And uh, it is so interesting now. I mean, we're getting to that part of the year, right? I mean, we're just a couple weeks from the start of regionals. And it has been fascinating to see. I feel like I saw a huge jump in quality from Gamty to Great Chicago Fire, which I would say are, they have to be considered at this point, the two best tournaments in the country. I don't even really think there's anything else that approaches the level of the field at those two tournaments. And I just, I think we're figuring this out. I feel like the way that teams are using uh the virtual system, the way that teams are setting up their audio and video. I just, I feel like it's getting better. I think we're getting better at this. 
and I'm really excited to see, um, you know, just how regionals looks. And especially once we get to orcs, how orcs looks when we've now had six months to get used to this system. Yeah, no, I, I actually really agree with that. I think that I have not been able to watch as many rounds recently, um, in, in the college circuit as I would like. I'm kind of expecting to, um, with, you know, all the scrimmages going on, a couple of tournaments picking back up and, um, and, you know, with regionals and everything else around the corner, I, I'm optimistic, as you said, Ben, from a lot of what I'm hearing. I'm also getting the sense that people are figuring this out and improving. And I think that at the end of this year, I'm so excited just to look back on how far we as a community have come in this totally new format. I mean, I think it's really says a lot and it's pretty cool that we have adapted so much to this format. I mean, I I want to believe that this is going to leave somewhat of an impact on how we do mock trial in the future. I mean, obviously there's not going to be Zoom trials once we're back in person, hopefully. I really, really hope not. You know, that, that's, you know, we can hope not anymore, right? But I do think that there are a lot of lessons that can be taken from what we have observed about how to keep people engaged over this format. Um, and I mean, look, we talked a lot about the time uh, constraints and I still think that they are pretty tough and they're tough for teams to get around. But I also think that it is forcing teams to be really, really careful with their time in a way that they haven't necessarily had to be in the past. And that's something that you can directly translate to the future. And I mean, I've always been a strong advocate for short crosses. Maybe this, you know, starts a trend of people not even coming close to using all last time because they've figured out, well, there's a more compelling, shorter way for me to make this point. Maybe I should just do that. So I, I am intrigued to see not only how this year goes, but how what the impact is that this year has on future mock trial. Yeah, it's it's funny you say that. I, I really agree with what you were saying that absolutely, look, I am so looking forward to getting back to in-person mock trial. I've talked with my freshmen this year so much about like, I'm really glad you get to do this activity, but it's going to make a huge difference when you get to be back in, uh, you know, like in a courtroom doing this activity for real. But I do think that some aspects of this should carry over. You know, I don't love the time limits in some ways. I think, for example, that having to allocate and not getting to carry over time from directs to crosses doesn't make any sense to me. You should just get a total amount of time. But uh, having to be super careful with what you ask, not tossing in extra chapters on cross that you don't need, um, having 12 minutes instead of 14 between opening and closing, I'm not convinced those things have necessarily been a negative. Do we need to cut cross times down as much as we are this year? Maybe not. But I could see a world where when we come back um, to in-person, we go down to 12 minutes between opening and closing and you get 25 for direct and 20 for cross or something like that. Mm -hmm. I, I think yeah. that could work. And then, or maybe we do that for the fall and then we change it for the spring. I don't know, right, right. but I, I think your points are, are really well taken that this activity, I, I mean, it will largely look the same when we come back uh, in part, just because I think everyone will be so desperate to just get back to what we used to <laughs> right. do and how much we miss it. But I definitely feel like I've learned things as a coach that are going to inform decisions that I make in the future. Can I say I would be super intrigued if, and this would be more like real court almost, but if we made it more of an expectation 
that at least at like regionals or orcs rounds and like real amped rounds, there was like a projector or something in each room. And this is probably not doable, but like to the way that we've started doing demonstratives virtually, I think is really cool and allows for so much more. And obviously there's some demonstratives where you like want it to be a little more hands-on, but instead of just gesturing to a poster, I love being able to like pull up something and zoom in on something and expand something and, and just like move around or do an active timeline that you're moving through. I just think that like, Things like that are so cool that we're able to do on virtual mock trial. And not, I haven't seen like a ton of people doing this lately, but like, I feel like I saw a lot of it from like some of the really top people at, uh, at the tournaments, like kind of at the beginning of the, the pandemic where we saw like Sonali, um, and, and other people really pioneer some of that technique. I think it'd be really cool if we could somehow bring that into, you know, in-person mock trial. Um, I don't know. I just think that that would be kind of a cool way to, to not have this year and the techniques and, and lessons that we've learned go to like completely out the window. Um, and I do think that's more like real life mock trial. I mean, or real life, like court, not real life mock trial. Um, but I mean, you would have like projectors and stuff. That's what they do for the most part with, you know, technology. I don't know. I just think that's something that could be really cool. I, I'm, I totally agree with that. And I'm just laughing, remembering, being up at two in the morning in my hotel, I think in Lancaster, like trying to adhere a magnet correctly (laughs) to a crappy picture frame that we bought because it was cheap and we needed one more and just thinking I had it right. And then realized I had one magnet flipped the wrong direction. And I just, I think your last point is a great one. I don't know how possible it will be, but it, I I think that is something if we can find a way to carry it forward. Right. And the gamesmanship is fun. Like yeah. using the other team's demonstrative and screenshotting it and changing it up. We saw multiple teams do that to mm-hmm. us this weekend. We did that to multiple teams this That's weekend. Cool. It's it's fun. You know, you get to put up their uh, demonstrative in closing and, and say, you know, and, and yeah, we can use each other's demonstratives in real life, but it's not the same. You don't want to mark it up in the same way. Right, exactly. Like you can't permanently deface <laughs> a PowerPoint slide. Right. Like it, it is what it is. So bottom line, I agree with you. And I think it would make sense at this point to move along and talk about some of the more recent results uh, that we have. Does that sound good? Let's, let's do it. You know, the one, the one nugget I will add is that it also levels the playing field. You don't have teams that have money to buy demonstratives and others don't. Everyone can make something on Google slides or PowerPoint, whatever. But yes, now let's move on. We, we've belabored this point enough. Let's go to our next tournament. <laughs> Hey, look, if, if we didn't belabor a point, it wouldn't be the mock review. <laughs> Very true. The people have been asking. Right, exactly. They've, they've been like, why? I haven't had any points belabored uh, <laughs> recently. I need, I need someone to, you know, belabor some points in my time. There you go. But we've also beaten a joke to death. So this is officially an episode now. So <laughs> let's talk tournaments. Uh, so we've had... Since we last recorded, there were a couple tournaments at the very end of the fall season that we're not going to talk about tonight just because case changes have come out and stuff like that. But since then, we've had a, you know, a run of really great tournaments. We already mentioned with Chicago Fire, you've got, uh, Cal Berkeley and UCLA playing tomorrow morning. Uh, you know, they'll, that round will be over by the time this is released, but, uh, playing tomorrow morning. A couple other ones just to roll through. Uh, U Classic was last weekend, always a great tournament. Uh, and you saw UC Santa Barbara win that tournament with seven wins. And then Chicago A was right behind them, also with seven wins, just a slightly lesser CS. Uh, 
in addition to Great Chicago Fire, Florida also hosted their Swamp Invitational this past weekend. Uh, my B team is out of that tournament, and they had two different divisions. Uh, those divisions were uh, won by William and Mary, uh, with UVA coming in second. That was William and Mary one at seven wins and one CS point ahead of UVA. And then Washington and Lee won the other division with seven wins, and Miami of Ohio was right behind them at six wins. Uh, running through a couple others here real quick. Beach Party was a couple weeks ago. Uh, that they've got that unique format where your A and your B team sort of compete together in a bracket. Uh, Northwestern won that tournament with UVA coming in second and Tufts coming in third. Looking at Georgia, uh, Ramblin Rec. Uh, Emory won that tournament with Georgia Tech coming in second. Uh, one other thing to notice, Michigan's tournament, uh, that was won by UMass Amherst. And then, because uh, we're going to be talking about California teams in just a second here, just to flag one or two more, uh, UC Santa Barbara, won Oregon's tournament, and University of Southern California won Nebraska's tournament. Drew, we talked about this mm-hmm. off mic a little bit, so I'll sort of cue you up on this. Sure. The fascinating sort of divide that we've seen this year and and the results that the California schools have had. There's a lot of schools doing well this year, not just the California schools. But it does feel like they are winning more in the invitational season than maybe they usually do. I was just curious for your thoughts, A, on if any of those results stood out to you, and B, on the reasons why you think why we're seeing more West Coast success nationwide this year. Well, look, I mean, you just talked about Great Chicago Fire earlier today. Great Chicago Fire is what people talk about, at least now. You know, We used to have the downtown. kind of Great Chicago Fire has taken that spot as being the mini nationals that we use to look at as, okay, this is kind of the best preview we get before we get Orcs case changes and everything else. And the two teams in that final round are UCLA and UC Berkeley. Um, I mean, I think that that says a lot. And as you were just pointing out, you know, we've had a lot of other California teams doing really well. I think that there are a number of reasons why um, you can point to this. I think at the end of the day, these are all really good teams and really good programs. And part of it's just that they probably haven't been competing in a lot of these tournaments and a lot of these invites in the past because they would have to fly across the country for a weekend and that's probably not super viable for them you know if you're on the east coast there's never a tournament weekend there where there isn't a tournament a four five hour drive away from you the fact that you've got to fly across the country for that if you're on the west coast makes it a very different story um, so I think that there is a certain amount of just because this is all virtual, you're getting teams that wouldn't normally, uh, you know, go to these tournaments, get to go and, and get to perform. And we're seeing that these are good, good teams. Um, I personally think that there's another interesting theory that is Zoom mock trial is a little bit more dull and can be less engaging. And as a judge, it's easy to lose focus and, and just kind of tune out. And I think that what the West Coast stylistically and look, I, I I'm an East Coast mocker, so I don't necessarily I'm not going to pretend to say this is true for all West Coast teams. But from a lot of the ones that I've seen, and from when I've gone to West Coast tournaments, what I've experienced is that they are a little bit more dramatic usually than East Coast or South or West or, or Midwest teams typically are. And I think that that flair for dramatics, that that more you know, just engaging type of mock trial may be really successful in this Zoom format where people are so desperate for something to engage them better. And I think that may be scoring really, really well. 
I will say when I saw UC Berkeley earlier, they were phenomenal. Like, I really think that this team is good and they've, they've figured out a way to be really, really compelling over this format. So, you know, I'm, there are other reasons, obviously. I think that that plays a, at least some role. Um, but, I mean, at the end of the day, like I said, these are just good teams. Like, they're doing well and they deserve to be recognized. And I'm glad that if nothing else, we're finally getting this equal playing ground for all teams when it comes to the invite season. You can go wherever you want. And so we're getting a sense of, of what these teams would do maybe if they were able to go to East Coast tournaments and Midwest tournaments throughout the year. What about you, though, Ben? What are you thinking? Yeah, so I think what you were just saying about their style is really interesting because um, I think it's true. Uh, you know, we haven't hit a ton of West Coast teams this year, but we, we've hit some. And it is so hard this year to make everything translate the same way, especially with witnesses. You have to be, you have to be able to communicate your character in, in different ways. You can't rely on some of the things that we used to use in person, like full body language, you know, Mm -hmm. body language Mm -hmm. that you can sort of communicate below your upper torso. Mm -hmm. Um, hand motions just aren't as effective candidly facial expressions which seems counterintuitive because you can see someone's face more clearly but it's not 3d you know it's it's just it's different and i know we've really struggled with finding the right dynamic for witnesses and a lot of these west coast programs always have really dynamic really uh well-designed witnesses i also just think and you alluded to this but I think part of this is just that most years these teams just spend the entire year until nationals beating the hell out of each other. That how many great teams are there over on the West coast and they just don't have as many opportunities to get through geographically. And some of it makes sense. You can't put three orcs in California because most of the country can't get there. Mm -hmm. Um, But it is really interesting to see in terms of West Coast having, you know, that claim to is this sort of the best region of the country <laughs> or whatever, which not a lot of people besides us and our devoted listeners, you know, however many that may be, the dozens of folks that may be. Um, the tens of. <laughs> right, exactly. Like, hi, mom. But, uh, <laughs> you know, like aside from that, like, I, that's such an interesting discussion to have. And I really think you could argue the West Coast is making a compelling case for it. Now, there's some other things too. Some of the best East Coast and Midwest teams in the country just graduated so many great people, right? You think about the losses that Duke had, the losses that Chicago had, the losses that Tufts and Ohio State, these East and Midwest powers that are just rebuilding in many ways because they just lost so many incredibly talented people. Uh but I think your theory is on to something, and I think the more that we pay attention to uh, what they're doing to be successful, the more we're going to figure out how this activity works, right. which it's getting to be that time of year where we got to <laughs> figure this out. And if we end up this year at nationals with 17 or 18 West Coast teams when we usually have mm-hmm. eight, Six. <laughs> then, right, that's going to tell us something. No, I, I think that that last point, Ben, to me is what I'm really excited about this year. And that's that, and, and we aren't technically at the regional assignments yet, but I do think that 
this is such a fun year in that there is no geographic restriction on where you go to Oryx or what regional you go to. And I hope, I hope that the results of this year can kind of inform some of our future decisions about where we distribute bids and where we put um, tournaments. Because I think for so long, we've always talked about, well, like power is kind of self-fulfilling. The fact that you have a certain number of orcs in, in, you know, in different regions self-determines what the power of that region is going to be. Like you can't have more than a certain amount of power on the West Coast simply because there is just one orcs there. So maybe it's that, you know, some of the teams that are traditionally, you know, one or two ballots out of that orcs, maybe they're going to be doing really well in orcs all of a sudden. We're going to say, oh, maybe we need to allocate more bids to the West Coast, or maybe we need a second orcs, or maybe we need to have more ways to get those teams out into the Midwest, the East Coast, and the South, um, because clearly those teams are at that level and deserve to go to those higher levels of competition. So I'm, I'm thrilled and excited that we have this rare opportunity that we may never get again to truly see, you know, level playing field. There's no geographic restrictions. Who makes it, you know, no, you know, everyone should be at a pretty even playing field. And I think that that's exciting. I'm, I'm excited to see how that goes. And I, I think that I hope that we learn it, we learn from it and, and don't just, you know, push these results aside and say, oh, it was, it was Zoom year. We don't, we don't care about that. Um, I do think that they are going to be interesting results and I'm so excited to break down them once we get them. I agree with that as long as none of those great West Coast teams end up, end up at our orcs. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> as long as that doesn't happen, I think it's a great change. <laughs> but if I'm sitting here round three at orcs hitting UCLA A, I'm going to be like, this sucks. When are we going back? <laughs> right. Um, but I mean, no, I totally fair. agree. But to be fair, <laughs> are you telling me for a second that you know, you're worried that Lancaster orcs is somehow going to be harder than it was before? Like, I... I am going to choose not to acknowledge the existence of the Lancaster Orcs until I am forced to again, until I can be sitting at Grant Keener's uh, judge reception after round three. Um, I don't know if I'm supposed to say that on the podcast, but um, either way, moving us along as we get to our last couple topics, because this is not going to be one of our longer episodes because we're sort of in this, you know, I mean, January is that time where we're doing invitationals, but the, the big stuff is about to begin. Uh, we wanted to talk briefly about case changes. They're, they're a little bit of old news now, but we recorded our last episode before they came out. Uh, I did think it was interesting uh, that the absolute clowns on the AMTA analytics committee, uh, that's actually not true. There's only one, but um, <laughs> I don't know if anyone gets that joke, but I'm on the You're on the analytics committee, right? um, Along with Sam Jahanger, Andy Hogan, and Zach Mundy, who are wonderful, wonderful folks. Ben's uh, the clown if people needed clarification. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> We'll beat you over the head with a joke, whether you like it or not. <laughs> um, no, so I did think it was really interesting. So we ended up with a pretty significant plaintiff bias in the fall season. It was a 5.9% plaintiff bias in all ballots and a um, 8.7% uh, plaintiff bias in rounds three and four, which, of course, are the power matched rounds. And the the memo, which it doesn't usually say this, it did say that, uh, you know, Patrio v. Martini and Peony Estates has pre presented a plaintiff bias during the fall invitational season, which I don't think anyone, you know, could deny. Uh, so the case changes, they were not significant, I would say, but they seem to be geared more in the direction of trying to give the defense a little bit more to work with. Uh, the defense was given an additional uh, 
defense, this sort of allergy uh, defense. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, that's sort of a catch-all term, but this allegation that the right. defendant uh, may Was have had an allergy. Right. And then uh, Exhibit 24, which is the note, which is the, you know, the it's it's an AMTA case, so it has to have some sort of incriminating handwritten note that was crumpled up and then someone took a picture of it because, sure, we're just going to keep doing that apparently. <laughs> um, but uh, that exhibit has been weakened a bit. The defendant no longer acknowledges it, which can make um, things a little bit fun and a little bit interesting. Uh, I, I don't have a ton to say about the case changes, Drew. I, I will say I have not yet seen a team run an allergy defense. I'm sure they're out there. I think it's a decent defense. It's a battery defense mm-hmm. more than a negligence defense. But, uh, you know, I I think time will tell. We'll see if this case balances itself out. We'll also see if the fact that we're about to toss in two or 300 teams who haven't really been going to invitationals uh, helps balance the case as well. Look, so here's the thing. I, I will be honest when I say that I am not working with this case that much, so I didn't pour over it the way that I'm sure everyone else did when it first came out. I have taken a look at it. I've looked through what the changes were, and I had a lot of the similar reaction that you had, been. I didn't notice anything. I was like, whoa, like that's going to really change things. I think that they, for the most part tried to go with, because there's a big bias, less changes and assuming that more time will equal more defense bias, um, which is probably a fairer assumption. I think that um, over time, we've always seen that the defense seems to pick up just because people come up with more and more creative defenses and they get better and better at finding holes to point out. And there's also the ever-present argument uh, just about the way that judges score, that the defense tends to get a slight leg up in in that they're getting some more scores later on in the trial when judges maybe are more inclined to score higher. Um, that being said, I do think that the note issue, I think it's at least more interesting now that they don't admit it, but I also don't think it's that significant of a improvement for the defense just because is anyone seriously arguing that like, Harper Martini didn't hate Genesis's guts. Like, come on. Like, the amount of damning, awful things they have said are just like, I mean, whether they whether you have the note or not, they clearly didn't like this person. And I think trying to argue that they did just because they don't have the note isn't going to really change that for me. Um, but, you know, who knows? Maybe someone does something with it. And yeah, the allergy defense that you mentioned, I, I haven't seen any cases, so I haven't gotten the opportunity to see anyone run it. It doesn't seem as compelling as I would like a defense theory to be in a preponderance case. Like, at the end of the day, man, that's what I keep coming back to. And I, I know I've said it, so I won't believe it. I won't talk about this too much more. But I just don't think any of these defense arguments are preponderance arguments. It's not a, you know, more likely argument. It is a, isn't this possible argument, which is just not the right burden. And I think that that makes it just really, really tough. Um, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing regionals and hopefully uh, orcs and and seeing if people are finding more and more creative defenses. I you know I haven't heard anything from just you know the circles that I'm in and talking with people. I haven't heard anything revolutionary get discussed yet. But heck, you know I'm really hoping that we get there and we find out you know someone did something crazy and blamed this person that's actually really works well, but I don't know. I, I think right now we're still kind of waiting and I'm not expecting anything too crazy. Yeah. I'll make one more quick remark about this case before we move to our last topic. And this is an in-depth topic for another day, 
but we're going to have to have a serious conversation as a community after this year about the change that was passed at last year's board meeting that resulted in Kane Software Co. v. Mars, whatever it is, which is the new case law that basically says you are allowed to object if an expert is testifying to a conclusion that's not in their report. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's not there yet. It's not. I'm not saying the concept is bad. In fact, I think the concept is good. Um, but it's not there yet. It's it's. I've seen some teams use it really well, and I think I've seen some teams use it in a way that just confused the judge and ended up in a sort of bizarre, like, uh, outside-the-scope-of-mock-trial argument, like old-school, high-school mm-hmm. mock trial where you could say, objection, the witness is saying something that's not in the case packet. It, I get it. Impeaching an expert is so hard, and impeaching an expert in virtual mock trial is is near impossible. So I'm not saying that the, mm-hmm. the impetus behind it is wrong, uh, but the way it's written this year, I don't believe is quite there yet. And I think that is something where we're going to need to have a discussion uh, once all of this is over. It might be interesting to sort of get a panel of people together and chat about that after the season um, on how that case law is being used and how we can adjust it, especially once we're back in person to sort of fit what we're doing. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I, mean, I think it'll be interesting to hear. I honestly haven't seen it used yet, so I, I'm intrigued that you mention it now. Um, but in the interest of moving along so we don't dawdle too much, um, let's talk about the regional assignments. We kind of finally have uh, a sense of what each individual regional tournament will look like. Um, I, I think, you know, I kind of find it funny the way that they're just titled 1A, 1B, 1C. Uh, you know, we don't get the uh, I feel like they're, they're, we've always associated, you know, Owens Mills. Like, I know that one. That's the one I go to. It's the one where all the judges suck. <laughs> the one where that guy that runs it really is annoying. And I hate listening to him. Um, uh, but seriously, I mean, they're 1A, 1B, 1C, whatever. That's the way they're titling each of these regionals because they are all, um, well, at least a lot of them are technically hosted by the American Mock Trial Association, um, which is kind of interesting. Um I will say that just my initial take on it, and then I'll throw it over to you, Ben. I am really intrigued and excited by the fact that whether intentional or not, it seems like very few teams from the same regional, or at least very few of the strong teams um, from the same general region are paired up. You, for the most part, are getting a an A or a or B from a strong program from the West Coast one from the Midwest, one from the East Coast or the Northeast and the Southeast, whatever. Um, But you're getting like really each one is a small glance at the country as a whole. And I think that is going to make for really exciting regional results in a way that we haven't initially had in the past. I think it's going to be a clashing of styles. It is going to be teams that don't normally get to face each other. And I just think that that's fun. Like I remember um, as a brief, brief anecdote, being frustrated that when I went to nationals, um, you know, back in the day, um, and we ended up facing four teams that were all in the general Northeast area that we would regularly face anyway. And we're like, well, you know, why do we go out to (laughs) Chicago for this? Like what's going on? Um, and it was just kind of like a a funny result. Um, but it it definitely is, I just think it's going to be exciting and fun to face teams from such different parts of the country. And I'm, I'm excited to see the results. Like I said, I think that, uh, you know, this may be the great reckoning um, that we get of, of what, what 
part of the country truly is triumphant um, when all other things are held equal. So what do you think, though, Ben? Well, for starters, I think it's going to be with AMTA hosting so many regionals, it's going to be real awkward when Miami wins nine bids. Um, <laughs> right. I, I'm joking. <laughs> That's a joke. I want to be very clear. We appreciated Neil coming on the podcast. That's a joke. Please don't sue me. Um, <laughs> no, in all seriousness, I did think that was super interesting as someone who's co-hosting a regional with the fine folks over at Stevenson. Um, you know, this year... Uh, the regionals are small. They all have either six bids or I think there's one or two sprinkled in there with five. Uh, and the power is spread out a ton. Uh, you know, like I'm looking at the, they were released today. And so we, like I did a little chart of where my A team is at and we've only got three teams in the top 100 in our regional. Um, I totally agree with what you were saying about geographical diversity. I think about 2017, the first time we made nationals, we went out there in rounds one, two, and three, we went Richmond, American, Penn State. Um, I was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> we, we could have hosted our own four-team tournament right. and been within you know two hours of each other. So I think it is really cool. Like, for, for example, the other two top 100 teams that are regional are Yale B and Chicago B. Now, we hit Yale and Chicago not infrequently, but then you also have Oregon B, who's there, and... uh you know, UCLA C and UC Irvine C. Not that I'm happy to see those C teams at, at my regional, but uh, I think that's a really great point. I I think I mentioned this the last time we talked. I wasn't a huge fan of AMTA's decision to uh, have all of the regionals go all the way across the country because I am convinced that time zones make a difference. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I also think it's really interesting you know, I, I'm fascinated to learn, and maybe we can have someone from AMTA on to, you know, talk in KG terms and generalities about this. But uh, sorry, I'm feeling kind of punchy tonight. I don't know if you could tell. <laughs> uh, but like how they're going to do the judges, because so often, you know, the, the geographical region can make a big difference. And certain regionals are associated with geographic regions, like Owings True. Mills is going to be a lot of judges in Maryland and D.C., um, versus these ones that are hosted by AMTA, I'm going to assume they sort of have a nationwide judging pool. Mm-hmm. And I'm fascinated to see how that works. Is that going to be almost exclusively uh, former mockers on, you know, people that AMTA has gotten in touch with? Because if so, that's a incredibly big difference from mm-hmm. a normal judging pool, which is sort of a mixture of both. So I think like you already said, there's so many new and interesting things and, you know, we'll have to do plenty of regionals breakdowns when all this happens, because there's going to be a ton of fascinating information to sort through. I will I will say this briefly. Um, I have gotten one email about volunteering to judge at regionals. And I also will just say briefly, Amta, I'm shocked that you haven't reached out yet. Like I just like I filled out all of the like alumni judging whatever forms and I just like didn't hear anything, which I was kind of like, really? Okay. Um, I thought that was the whole point of that, but I guess not. Um, the one team that reached out was Boston University, Boston University, Boston College, I think it was Boston University, um, who is hosting a regional and they were asking for judges. Um, so I will say that at least for the ones that are, you know, that have a specific host, I would guess that that is fairly local. Um, and I think that that's kind of funny. Like, I will just briefly say that I was, I almost chuckled when I got it because like, of course that would be like probably the only regional that I would be able to go to in person if that were the case. Right. Um, and like, 
now it's virtual. And that's still the only one that was like asking for judges, which I just thought was like kind of funny. Um, but it, I just do think it is interesting. And I think you're totally right, Ben, that all these ones that are hosted by the American Mock Trial Association, you have no idea what that field is going to look like. And I will add that being being in the area that you usually would be and, you know, whatever that means. But like, let's say you're going to regional 1E, which is the one hosted by Boston College. Um, you know, if you are usually in that area. Like Yale. Yale's at that region. Yale's at that regional, right? Um, Brown, and, I think, probably has Brown, gone yeah. in the past. But like, I do think that they're going to have a big advantage. Not that, excuse me, not that they need it. But like, you know, they're probably going to know this judging pool a lot better than, you know, Michigan C or Tennessee or Central Florida or Northern Illinois, who, you know, probably have never gone to a Boston area tournament. So I just, I do think that's going to be interesting. I mean, I, I'm intrigued to see how that affects results. Yeah, it's funny looking, I think Regional 1E is a perfect example. You mentioned Northern Illinois, we're good friends with their program, and they play a really clean sort of Midwestern friendly style. Uh, and I don't know how well that's going to play. I mean, look, they're, they're a great team. They're going to be fine, but they play a very different style than say Yale. Um, yeah. Now to be fair, okay, maybe that's not the best example, but like, cause so <laughs> Who plays a similar theory, type but, as Yale. I mean, come on. <laughs> right. But like Brown, they play very different styles than Brown. And, sure. and I totally agree with you. And I just wonder, you know, I mean, there's so many factors affecting things this year. Uh, judging, and we talked about it in early episodes. Uh, I do think judges are getting a little better at figuring out who's the better team. But usually we have a pretty significant influx of new judges for regionals because we just have such a massive number of tournaments um, that we're doing. And, you know, we're also starting to see as as vaccines roll out and stuff like that, like people are you know, slowly starting to be able to do small things here and there, depending on, on where you live. And how much is the judging pool going to change from the invitational season to the, you know, to the regionals or national season? Uh, and then the last thought that I have is, and I can't believe I'm saying this out loud, but looking ahead to orcs, uh, I don't know this for sure, but I really, really hope that AMTA is already planning to have three judges at orcs. Uh, there's only eight orcs. Um, I know it's a lot of judges, but I mean, this, this is the year. year, this is the this year. Is the and year. maybe it goes back to two. I mean, it, it, it's not easy to get judges. I, I know that mm -hmm. firsthand, but we should be able to do it this year. There's only going to be eight tournaments. There's going to be tons of coaches who aren't coaching at orcs. And if there's any year where I think it's crucial to do that, it's this year for two reasons. One, it's because of the virtual issue. And two, because I, I'm assuming at this point, considering we've heard nothing about TPR, that we're just rolling with the 2019 to 20 TPR for mm -hmm. orcs, unless we are told otherwise. And even if we're not, it's it's not going to be as accurate as it would have been if we'd had nationals and the last three orcs last year. So this year, we need to be able to figure out in each round with a little more specificity, who is the better team here? And it right. seems to me like this is the year to hopefully have three ballots in every round at Orcs so that the best teams get through. But I, I totally agree with that. I think that this, as we were just saying, this is the year. I mean, people are sitting around on their butts doing nothing. Let's get them to judge. Like, come on. Like, I, I really, I, I, 
I was half joking when I said earlier that I was shocked that, that I hadn't heard something, but I will say like, if you need judges, Amta, reach out to all of your alums who have been trying to, that, that want to get involved, that want to do something. Um, I am convinced, convinced that you could find enough judges to get three judges in a round for, for those uh, eight orcs. I mean, I just, in my head, I do this math of there are what, like 600, 700 teams every year, or, you know, if we just did programs, but they're probably at least three or 400 programs. And if they're graduating on average, you know, three or four people a year, like, I mean, the judging, the potential judging pool has got to be huge. I mean, if you just pulled from people that competed at an orcs level, which I'm not saying they would need to, but let's say they did that, you're still getting hundreds upon hundreds of kids every year who do mock trial, who've done it at a high level, that could be a great judge. And I just, I I think that if we say we don't have enough judges to do it this year, that's because we didn't try hard enough. And I, you know, I'm not faulting people. I'm not the one that's that's making that effort. But I'm just saying that it, you know, we it, it's there. There, you can't tell me the people aren't there. Um, they are. The other thing I will just add to what you were just saying, Ben, about you know, the importance of finding out the right team as someone who is coaching in high school in which there is only one judge around, like I'm grateful that we do two, but just always more is better. And doing one is beyond nerve wracking. Two is still extremely nerve wracking. We have seen, especially with orcs and the way that the new system works, you know, one judge the wrong way can really just like tank your ability to make it. And that's sad and shouldn't be the way it works. But the more judges you get, the less power any one, you know, idiot judge frankly has on the ability for the right teams to move on. Um, so I, I hope they move up to three. I totally agree with you. It should be doable. And, you know, I, I hope that they're able to pull it off because we should be able to. Well, it sounds like we have a lot to look forward to. I think True. we'll have some great regionals breakdowns to do. We've got a ton of regionals this year. I didn't count how many it is. Is it 32? Um, it, it, I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's around the usual number. I mean, there's been a, a influx, I think, of late registration. So uh, we've got a huge number of teams competing, which is fantastic. Uh, I'm on the new school mentorship committee, and I was actually just on a call this week with a brand new school who's gearing up for regionals in a couple of weeks. And it was really exciting to get to sort of be there and see them as they start to work through these issues and questions for the first time. So I am looking forward to seeing how the rest of this season goes. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking forward to getting through this season. Uh, this has been, you know, you think we're, we're not that far away from the one year anniversary of things. You know, once we hit orcs this year, it'll really be the one year anniversary of things starting to shut down. And, you know, knock on wood, you know, like my parents are both healthcare workers and, and they've both gotten the vaccine now. And I know I'm sure many others are in the same boat. And I hope that many of our listeners are starting to get it and, and that you're all staying safe and doing as well as you can, because we've said this before, but I'm very proud of how our community has handled this with a few exceptions. I think we've all taken it very seriously. Teams seem to be taking it seriously and not sort of congregating all in the same room at the same time. Mm-hmm. Uh and I think this season, while it's been weird and it hasn't had some of the fun things that we really miss, it really has shown our community's resilience. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking forward to celebrating that, hopefully in the fall. Like I've said to you before, the next time that you and I can be at some 
Midwest tournament, <laughs> you know, sitting at a bar at a Holiday Inn Express or something so like true. that. So it, it was good to chat with you all about all of this. And Always. I'm sure we'll have other folks on to, to chat with everything soon. Looking forward to talking to some teams who advance to Orcs. And now, you know, we've got one more weekend. We've got uh, team in action next weekend. And then we turn our focus to uh, getting ready for regionals. It is that time of year. Oh, I both love and hate this time of the year. It's such a strange sensation. But yes, I will say, Ben, it is it is nice to hear from you. Nice to hear your voice. Nice to get to catch up. Um, and I'm looking forward to seeing the results. Um, so yeah, be looking for us in your feed soon, folks. Yep. It is good to be back. And we will hopefully be back a little bit sooner once we start to get regionals results. Thank you all, as always, for listening. As always, if you have any thoughts or any topics you want to cover, please feel free to reach out to Drew or I directly, or you can shoot us an email at themockreview at gmail.com. We are always happy to hear from people uh, if there's anything specific you think is worth discussing. Stay safe, everyone. Best of luck at your regionals. We'll be in your feeds again soon. Until then, this has been The Mock Review with Ben and Drew.